Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. I'm really excited today to welcome my special guest, Jocelyn Bell, who is the editor and publisher of Broadview Magazine, and she's at her home office in Toronto joining me over Zoom. So Jocelyn, welcome to Six Ways from Sunday, and thank you so much uh, for agreeing to come on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. Many of our listeners will be um, readers of yours um, and familiar with Broadview Magazine or familiar with The Observer, um, but some might not be. So we we don't even know really who's out there listening and who follows along to this podcast. Um, and if you are listening right now, we would love to hear from you to know uh, what has brought you to Six Ways from Sunday or how you ended up here, where you're listening from. Um, so always feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, we love hearing from listeners. But for our community of listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Broadview Magazine, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, Broadview is a magazine that comes out eight times per year, and it's a national magazine. Uh, our focus is on spirituality, social justice, and ethical living. And when we talk about spirituality, we are really coming at that from a progressive Christian perspective. Although we do include other ideas about spirituality, other faiths, um, our own identity is, is as uh, progressive Christians. Uh, we also cover the United Church of Canada because we are affiliated with that denomination. Um, we're editorially independent, though, which is pretty rare in, in uh, church faith publication, publications. Um, but we do cover, you know, we have the kind of the back third of the magazine is all about United Church news and views and perspectives. Um, of course, in this day and age, no one gets away with just being a print publication anymore. So we're online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, all of those things, uh, and trying to reach out to broader audiences that way as well. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, wow. And do you have a sort of a sense of who that audience is? Or do you feel like it's, it's mostly that, you know, uh, progressive Christian audience that you're you're reaching and United Church folks across Canada or, or who is it that you sort of target? Well um, for a long time as you mentioned in your intro we were called the observer so we were called the United Church observer and we'll get I'm sure we'll get into that a bit um, and so for a long time really our audience was the people in the pews exclusively really I'm sure there were a few others that read us but mainly we were really speaking to the people in the pews um, and so one thing we wanted to do with Broadview when we when we switched the magazine, changed the name, rebranded, was to reach audiences outside of the United Church of Canada, as well as serving that core audience. So uh, right now, I would say the majority of our readers are still United Church members. Um, that's a very great audience, very core, very loyal to us. And we want to continue to serve them. But we're also trying to bring the conversation of progressive Christianity into, you know, into the wider Canadian conversation. So now we have more readers who are maybe, maybe they grew up in the United Church and just don't go anymore, but where their connection to that, or maybe they're, you know, from other denominations, other walks of life. Uh, and so we're, we're very pleased with whoever wants to read what we're doing and, and sharing what we're doing. So, hmm. um, I can tell just from poking around on the website a little bit um, before we had this um, this call, and just already in speaking to you that uh, yourself and your your team, the whole team, I'm sure, are very driven by purpose, values, um, and have a, a really clear sense of, of a mission of what it is that you want 
to accomplish or, or provide to that target audience that you just described, how would you describe that that vision or that mission that you guys have at Broadview? What is it you're trying to provide to people? Um, well, that's a big question. So I think, you know, we are, I mean, we're a media organization, so we want to tell stories. So we're trying to, we're providing stories. We're providing, uh, hopefully, stories that are um, inspiring. Um, maybe they, maybe things that we provide, maybe it makes you angry and inspires you to act. Um, maybe we're building empathy with our readers, you know, with, you know, helping you to understand a different perspective than you ever encounter in your own world. And so you're, you start to build empathy about what uh, other people are feeling, experiencing, you know, whether it's in your own neighborhood or right across the globe. So um, I think we're, you know, as the name says, we're trying to bring a broad perspective of stories uh, and challenge our own thinking as we're editing it even and uh, and bringing lots of different kind of diversity to people's just reading in general. Yeah. In, in the media landscape or that whole ecosystem of there's just so much content. I mean, we're in the digital age that you and I were sort of born before and then grew up, uh, grew in, like watched, watched this whole thing evolve where we, we watched everything go online. And now in the last two years, we've really seen even that pushed even further, right? Where everything's going online. Church is happening online. Everything is, is uh, your 80 some year old mother, you were just saying is, is using yeah. Zoom. And so um, beyond even what we might have thought was possible in the early 2000s in the, you know, the big bubble of the dot com, we're really seeing that everything is, is online now. There's, there's so much out there to consume. And yet I can really tell that, um, that Broadweek sort of lands in a, in a space that's very distinct from traditional media in terms of like, you know, the, the types of stories that you might see CBC covering, whether that's in print or on radio or, or their website or whatever it might be, but also distinct um, from a lot of other denominations, religious publications. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about um, aiming, like being really intentional about carving out this progressive Christianity message, what does that mean for you? Like, how would you sort of define what makes it progressive or distinct from from other Christian content? Um, I mean, I think that there's a, a boldness in what we do um, that perhaps in some cases, in many cases, my colleagues who work in other Christian faith publications just can't quite do. Like I, I speak to them regularly because I'm part uh, Broadview and me personally, I'm part of the um, Canadian Christian Communicators Association. So there's lots of different um, Christian publications. And so, you know, we meet once a month, we have a water cooler chit chat. And so I get mm. to know them. Uh, I'm also part of the Associated Church Press. Uh, and I'm on the board of that. And that's North America wide. So I do, I do talk to a lot of different colleagues who do similar things to what we do. Um, but where, uh, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of cautious approach in what they do. They, they, you know, they feel nervous and I, even things that I would almost take for granted, like, can we talk about a gender neutral God, for example? And they're like, well, if we printed that, you know, we'd be in all kinds of controversy. And I'm thinking, okay, but you know, so there, that's where a lot of them are at. Not all of them. Some of them are uh, maybe what I would consider further along in that <laughs> dialogue. <laughs> 
Um, but you know, we're we're okay to publish uh, all kinds of things about you know drag queens or um, you know other trans people, uh, indigenous, and you know inclusion, like all these really hot to medical assistance and dying is a big one that they kind mm. of are worried about touching. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I feel like we are able to um, come at those issues from a progressive uh, Christian point of yeah. view yeah. And, and trust our readers to say, okay, even if they disagree, they might disagree, but to trust our readers to say, well, I disagree, but I take your point. And, and so I, I feel like we really have a very unique um, audience, a uh, very niche audience. And I really enjoy the people that we get to write for. Mm. Do you get to to hear from them very much? Like, do you get, uh, you know, letters to the editor and, um, and some, I mean, online, of course, there's always like people commenting on things and, and through social media, there'd be some feedback that way. But what mm. do you, what do you hear from, from your readers and how do you sort of engage with them? Well, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, we get we get letters to the editor that, you know, are intended for the print publication and we print them. Uh, and then, of course, there's all the commentary. Like you said, there's the commentary on Facebook in particular uh, seems to be the go to spot for most of our readers. Um, you know, I, sometimes we hear criticism and sometimes we hear, you know, your magazine is the one that I read cover to cover every month it comes and it's feeding me spiritually and you know, wonderful things like that. And with the criticism, uh, you know, after I get over myself <laughs> and, and uh, allow myself to bristle for a few minutes and feel defensive, I try to say, okay, well, what's, what's being said here and how can I acknowledge that? Or, and maybe it's fair, maybe it's fair criticism. And I just need to, you know, take another look at whatever this thing is and, and see if, we could have done better or can still do better. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's all, it's all kinds. And we're just, um, you know, I try to stay grateful, you know, and humble and feel grateful for the fact that people are engaging and that's really important that they took the time. They care enough about this, this publication that they took the time to tell me that I need to pull up my socks. So, <laughs> <laughs> or that I, they took the time to tell me that it's, that it's wonderful. Uh, another way people express that is through donations, of course, and uh, we're, you know, we're in the middle of a campaign at the moment um, and uh, for fundraising. And so people, you know, above and beyond their subscription are being very generous with us. And so that's another mm. very affirming way that they tell us that we're doing OK. Yeah, so, that must feel yeah. really validating. Yeah, yeah, it can. Well, before I forget, and because I'm, I'd love to just uh, encourage people to check that out, what, where can people find information about that campaign? If they want uh, to well, if they go to broadview.org slash donate, then um, right now it's for until the end of May, we've got a matching campaign. So every dollar people give up to $50,000. Uh, will be matched, and that's thanks to a very generous donor who is who has offered fifty thousand dollars towards that campaign. So wow, that's really it's cool. Great. It's our first matching campaign. I'm very excited about it. So yeah, it goes. Oh, that's really cool. Well, good luck with with hitting that goal. Thanks. <laughs> um, so as things have sort of evolved, actually, you know what? I'd I'd love to take a step back first and oh. hear a little bit more of your personal, like Jocelyn's story. How did you? Um, find your way into journalism? Uh, well, I I went to uh, 
Queens University. I studied English and I didn't really have any concrete plan uh, when I started that program. I just liked reading and writing and editing and things like that. Um, and, you know, like uh, most university students, I tried this club and that club. I joined things. Um, but when I walked into the Queen's Journal and got my first assignment and the excitement of seeing, you know, getting my name in print and, and turning around a story quickly and all the stuff, I just really felt like, oh, my gosh, I think I've found something here. Like it, it just kind of clicked for me. Um, and the the journalists that I worked with at the Queen's Journal, I just I just adored them. Like we just kind of similar sense of humor, similar kind of outlook. I just felt like I kind of I found my people. Um, so from the student newspaper, I went to Ryerson and I did uh, some internships. Um, and as my my interest in journalism was growing, um, my parents said, well, hey, why don't you talk to Muriel Duncan, who is the editor of the United Church Observer? Because, of course, they were Observer subscribers. My parents are ministers. Um, and I said, okay, sure. So I went and spoke to Muriel and she gave me a paid assignment, my first paid assignment, <laughs> big deal. Yeah, it must have been uh, exciting. The, <laughs> the job that I did, it was, uh, so this would be the late 90s. And it was a time when United Churches were, uh, and it still are, um, trying to create worship services that appealed to younger demographics. Uh, but if this felt new, you know, like trying to trying to get young people and doing something something non-traditional to get young people to come to church. So I was sent to about five of these um, hip, trendy worship services, <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of reviewed them. Um, I'm sure they rewrote the whole article for me, but uh, anyway, I got it done. I got my name in print, and then that started uh, a few years for me of freelancing for the Observer cool. while I was doing some other work. And then to, I'm trying to just yeah. picture. I'm trying to picture you covering this story, and so I'm so sorry for interrupting. Um, okay. So, did you go and and attend some of these different church I services? Went to all of them, yeah, I went okay. to both. Okay. So you're in person because, yeah. of course, this is so late '90s. This is none of this is online, of course. No. Um, and where where were some of these places, and what were they like? They were. Um, there were some in Toronto. I was living in Toronto at the time. Okay. I remember going to driving all the way to Peterborough and I think I even went to Ottawa for one of them and stayed. I remember staying with some family friends, but um, they were, you know, they were interesting. I don't remember all the details, but uh, you know, they were trying to use multimedia, kind, you know, trying to use some video or sing songs that weren't, you know, traditional hymns they were, they were doing some stuff. It was a good, it was a good valued effort. And uh yeah, so <laughs> it feels like a long time ago, but there is, I, I was photographed for this article. So there is okay. a photo out there of me, Jocelyn Bell, trying out the new service or something. So yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and do you yeah. remember, um, like you said, it was a while back, but were they having some success? I mean, a lot of people listening to this podcast and a lot of your listeners and or readers um, are very intimately familiar with this age-old conversation of how do we get young people into church? Like right. it was happening in the in the late '90s. Well, it's 20 years later. It's still uh, still a big topic. <laughs> still a big topic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have special insights. I think I think everything that you can try has probably been tried, but maybe there's something. You know, it's it's never going to be one thing, right? It's never going to be like. Well, you know, I went to church because it had a great band. I mean, that might be something that you enjoy while you're there, but it's all, I think it's always going to be a little more complex than 
um, you know, we just, we put something on Twitter, look at it. Like it's always going to be something more than just one, one thing that you tried. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be about the community. So in some ways, you know, me hopping around to five different services going once and never going again, probably, uh, in a way didn't give me the (laughs) real insight into like, is this something that would, you know, would, would really work if I came every week and started to get to know the people who are here and started to, you know, see the different iterations of what you're doing. I mean, it takes, you know, it takes a bit of effort for a person joining a church to know whether that's Mm. the right fit. Like they have to want to commit to trying it for a while, I think. Yeah. To really know if it's going to be the thing. I, I agree. And in the same token, first impressions, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's easier to identify in in one Sunday visit uh, a church that you know you definitely don't want to go back to than it well, is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had I've had a few of those. My wife and I uh, lived in Halifax for a while um, before we got married. And uh, we were shopping around for a, a new church home. You know, we, we checked out quite a few churches. We were very open-minded. We both grew up in United Churches and, mm-hmm. uh, and there were more, more than one in Halifax, obviously it's a big, big town. Um, but all these other churches that were close by, you know, in the neighborhood of where we lived and we had friends that went to other churches and things. So we, we kind of spent a couple of months going to a bunch of different churches one time. Each. Okay. <laughs> Most of them were like, well, we won't be going back there. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, fair enough. I mean, you know, in the churches. I think the churches who try to have a good first impression and try to find ways to be welcoming of new people, like that's the most important first start I think that they could probably make. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and I've, and I've been to churches where I felt like this is really welcoming. Like I really, you know, even as a new person, somebody greeted me, they, they got to know me a little bit. They introduced me to somebody else and, you know, like you you can do it well or you can Mm -hmm. do it very badly. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of that sometimes just comes down to the theology too, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, it might, it might again. be a wonderful and welcoming place for, um, you know, someone who feels like they align with that community of faith in terms of their theology and their beliefs and how they want to do, um, how, how, what they find fulfilling spiritually for them individually and what yeah. type of worship experience they want to have on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Now, like, in where we are now um, in this small town in central Alberta, we're a very small uh, church because we're a, a, a town of less than 900 people. The Pinocchio United Church is also, it's bigger than we are, but you know, Pinocchio is five or 6,000 people. So again, it's, it's rural, it's a rural community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even in these small rural communities, I mean, Basha used to have seven churches. There's, wow. there's still four, I think four, maybe five. Um, mm-hmm. that are active on a weekly basis. So um, you still have some choice, but it is so much more about like, it's the people, like you said, mm-hmm. and the community mm-hmm. that's being formed by the people. And so it's very, very different than um, a bigger city where you just have people dropping in and, and visiting and maybe they're from out of town or we mm-hmm. have our kind of our core people that kind of stay the same and people that that maybe get busy and and don't come for a while and then they come back. and. <laughs> And that yeah. sort of thing. But, um, we're also seeing a big shift with the, the last couple of years of everything moving online, like we were talking about, where it's starting to really have an impact on people's habits and on people's 
you know, relationship with either wanting to come to church at all or how they engage with church. Mm. Um, I'd love to to pick your brain a little bit and on your thoughts on how how media, whether it be print media or social media or just storytelling in general, but especially things like Broadview, how does it have a role in this shifting and evolving landscape of of spiritual practice? So the spiritual practice of engaging with church. Um, hmm. Do you see that that change and, and that changing a lot through your work? I mean, I feel like there's a lot of questions in, uh, in that. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize uh, for that. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out. So, so we're talking about how, uh, media has a role in, in shaping church and church practices. Well, yeah. And people's relationship with, with church, I suppose, like, um, I'll frame it with a little bit of context from, from our perspective at like with rising spirit ministry, um, we've seen a, a growing online community of faith where, you know, we're engaging with people in our own community right here in Basha and in Panoka through our mm-hmm. Facebook page and through our website and through this podcast. And Robin has a weekly blog that, uh, and he also does like a midweek reflection, he calls it, where every Wednesday he puts out just like a little five minute video where he uses his phone and sits in a mm-hmm. different spot in the church each week and just gives some thoughts. And that was started as a way of recognizing that, you know, on Sunday mornings, there's a lot of people who aren't here. Uh, and when we were in full lockdown mode, there was an, literally an empty building. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these people that were like, oh, you know, I'd really like to get back to church, but it's not safe to do so right now. we got to wait. We're in, in this lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and feeling isolated. A lot of our uh, members of our congregations are older and like really starting to feel that isolation. And so he was do- doing some of these extra things to sort of reach out with um, some spiritual um, mm-hmm nourishment if you will and support and an inspiration much like the work that that you do with broadview um only in print and it was filling a need that maybe wasn't happening in a pew on a sunday morning and so now we're, we're getting into sort of an age where united churches everywhere are seeing shrinking congregations mm-hmm. um and people's idea of you know filling their spiritual cup <laughs> it can be done in so many different ways. And maybe it's not as traditional as it used to be that, that practice of just, well, it's Sunday, so we go to church, but mm-hmm. the church still has a, a place in their lives. Right. Or, and, and now media is a big part of our ability to respond to that. So yeah. I guess the question there yeah. is, yeah, <laughs> where, where do you see media coming in and helping to, sh- to fill that need and sort of influencing the evolution of what church is for people? Yeah, and well, thank you for the for the background to feel clearer now. So, um, in some ways, I feel like media has been dealing with this for a lot longer than the church because, really, when the pandemic, like the pandemic, really spurred churches into going, oh, well, we could do, we could do podcasts, we could do a weekly message from the minister, we can we can do this on Zoom, and to really to you know sped up the process of mm-hmm. uh of figuring that stuff out um with um media print media traditional print media you know really since the advent of the iphone is that 2007 we've been in this state of transition of you know print is still paying the bills 
but everyone's online. Not everyone. People still like to read prints. And sometimes you read differently when you're reading print than you do when you're reading, you know, skimming through your, your Facebook feed. But, you know, we've been kind of doing this for a, a pretty long time. Now, during the pandemic, um, that also sped up for us because then we, we thought, okay, well, now we're all isolated. Now we need to step up and build community here. And so at Broadview, we did a couple of things. I mean, we, you know, we kind of ramped up our, uh, our online um, offerings, our content, but we also, uh, first of all, we put up a page on our website um, that showed people across Canada, here's where you can go to uh, find an online worship service across Canada. So, mm -hmm. and it wasn't just restricted to United Churches. There's other, other faith communities uh, joined in with that. It's mainly United Churches though. Um, and so people were using that page to find like, you know what, I think I'd like to go to a church in Alberta today. Why not? Because, you know, I woke up late and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. and so all these like, time zones in Canada yeah, becomes time an zone. advantage. Or, yeah. And that page in, in 2019 was either our first or second most clicked on page, uh, of the year. And so people wow. were really using that resource you know, it's just the easiest thing to do, just kind of, and, you know, ask people for links. So that was one thing that we did. Um, another thing that we did is we started the Broadview Online Reading Club. Hmm. And so that is with every print issue, we have a Zoom night, you know, about a month after it, it lands in your mailbox. We have a Zoom night where we uh, ask um, three contributors from the magazine or people who were profiled or whatever, three people who are in the magazine from that month to come and okay. do kind of like what we're talking about where, you know, they do a short presentation and then they take a Q and a, and you get to meet the people that you just read about in the magazine. And, uh, and that's been going really well. So that was another way that we were kind of stepping up to fulfill the need. Um, but a you know, really cool idea. I love that. Yeah. But you know, you've heard from lots of people, uh, especially people who live in rural areas where like you, you know, say there's maybe fewer choices of, of churches available and maybe the churches that are available in your town or your, your community um, don't fit your progressive theology. And so for a lot of those, you know, for many people we've heard is Broadview is their connection to their faith. And mm -hmm. so we can fulfill that need that way too. So, yeah, I think those are some things. <laughs> those, I love that answer. That's it's really great. And it's, it makes me just think about how important storytelling in general is, whether it has, has a deliberate, intentional, spiritual component to it or not. We're, we're just really wired for sharing stories. And, and it's, it's the, the most powerful way that I know of to impact other human beings and to provide, whether it's just encouragement, inspiration, um, just keeping people informed, you know, like practical, just people want to have a connection to what's going on in their community, what's going on in their country, what's going on with different issues in our world. And, and, it's, and it sounds like Broadview really uh, has a wide spectrum, just like the name suggests, like you said, across all of that, right? Like a big part well, of it is... And how can, importantly, I think I want to add in there just to jump in, sorry, mm, no, uh, but, you know, how do we solve those things or what, who are the people working towards solutions? It's been, you know, a right. big emphasis for us is not, yeah, there's a lot of problems in the world and we can raise up all these issues, but then we don't want people to finish reading an article and be like, well, the world stinks and there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it. You know, like that's not the takeaway. The takeaway right. is 
look at this, you know, here's one person who's trying to do something. It's probably, you know, they may not solve the whole problem or even come close, but here, here are some people who are working on something or here's a, a theory of something that could work. Even. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one uh, phrase that just popped into my head as you're describing that is that is so closely tied with Christianity is good news, right? Like in literally mm-hmm. in all caps, <laughs> this is the good news in, in the media world. We're so inundated with terrible news yeah. this last 12 months, especially. I mean, I, I think back to, for me, I feel like I, I go back to the, the U.S. presidency when it looked like, oh my goodness, Donald Trump is going to be the next president of the United States. And <laughs> everything in the news from that point until today has just been like, what? Really? <laughs> now this? It's just like yeah. one big, huge story after the next that's that's terrifying and shocking and just like, what is going on in our world? And now we've got this war going on in Ukraine and and the pandemic the last couple of years and, and just this increasingly polarized um landscape of of opinions that are and just hatred and anger and fear mm-hmm. and media is steeped in a lot of really a lot of toxic um just negativity that i it's um, it's so great to see a publication that is trying to be so intentional about sharing the good news in terms of like the good news of Christianity, but also just some good news stories and some things like, Hey, this is happening, but look at this amazing nonprofit that's formed. That's bringing relief to the people in Haiti or look at, you know, just yeah. little, little stories that aren't maybe making the mainstream media headlines mm-hmm. because they're not scary enough or they're not like, do you find that that fundamental distinction be- between uh, that kind of sets Broadview apart from a lot of traditional media in that you're trying to actually share good news? Yeah, well, I, I mean, even we have to be intentional about it, right? Because we're journalists and, you know, a lot of us worked in mainstream media before we came to Broadview and we went to the same journalism schools that mm. all the people the CBC went to and the Globe and Mail and whatever other media, big media you want to talk about. Uh, so we're not really, um, in some ways, we're not uh, all that different from those journalists um but we have we kind of have made it an intentional thing to say okay we're not going to shy away from talking about these problems we're not just you know we're not just going to make everything uh all about good news because there are a lot of problems in this world that need Mm -hmm. our attention and need us to be moved by them and uh and to carry them with us in our hearts um but like i said you know the solutions journalism approach also gives the other part of it too so Mm. talk about what some of those things are so um you know I don't necessarily I mean there's some media that I I don't love but I kind of just think well you know they're doing their thing we're doing our thing our thing works for us as journalists and it works for our audience and um you know like I don't want to spend every day, all day steeped in horrible news without also like, you know, even for me as editing, as an yeah. editor, uh, I I also want to read stories that make me feel like, um, okay, there is something, there's an outlet here if I wanted to support this organization or if I, to know that there's, there are wonderful people doing things and let's celebrate yeah. that. So yeah. yeah, it's a balance. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, there's a terrible phrase. I don't know if you've heard it, but 
it's it's kind of from the old timey newspaper approach where they say if it bleeds it leads. Uh, I, I think I've so, seen it in a movie or something like yeah. Yeah, and it's it's this idea that okay, if you have a if you have a murder in the city, then that's your headline because yeah. if it bleeds it leads. Page, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not like you know, I I was I was trained in newspapers and I came up through journalism school and it I, I wasn't always part of this. So um, so some of that carries with me a little bit, but then I think, no, mm -hmm. we want to be intentional. We want to do, tell stories a bit differently and, uh, and, you know, bring a bit of positivity in as well. Mm. You can, I'm sure then you're also experiencing sometimes that tension of like, well, we could use this headline and it might grab, it like might grab more clicks, but do mm -hmm. we want to step onto that slippery slope of, you know, clickbait headlining and and shock and awe and 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 getting our readers' attention through those mechanisms and strategies, or do we stay? You know, really stick to what we're about. And like, I'm sure that 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 pull must always be there uh, for people in journalism, where it's like you know that like hu the human brain is just gonna respond a certain way or be more likely to grab their attention. If using some of these strategies that you do see a lot in, in mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, within our team, uh, different people have different tolerances for that kind of uh, clickbait head right, headline writing online. <laughs> um, you know, we want something that's going to be engaging and we do want people to click. And I think I would want to make a distinction between uh, a very engaging, good headline versus a misleading or disrespectful headline for the sake of, you know, something salacious, yeah. you know, like, so there's, yeah. there's a, you know, for me that the word clickbait needs to be defined a bit because it's like, right. we do want you to click on it actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it's we want to write a great smart. headline, yeah. a great direct headline that tells you fair in a fair way, what the story is about, not that yeah. misleads you mm -hmm. um, and not something that, you know, plays on people's feelings of inadequacy to like, you know, 10 things you're doing wrong. Number four is going to shock you. Like we're not going to do that, but, <laughs> um, but uh, there's lots of, you know, there's lots of engaging ways to write headlines and, and getting people, we do want people to come and read our stories. So we're, we're, you know, in, in some ways part of that still anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can definitely relate to that as a fellow storyteller in, in my work and as a videographer, um, sometimes giving, you know, a, a suggestion to a client where we'll say, you know, here's your video. And if you use this title, it's probably going to get more attention and more engagement on social media than if you just call it, you know, whatever. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's reality and it's, it does make a big difference. And it's, like I said earlier, there's just so much volume of content mm -hmm. uh, that we're competing for people's attention. Yeah. Can't really yeah, avoid and that. So you kind of have to, you know, to a certain point, you have to play the game of it and you have to yeah you know, get people to stop and look at what you have and, you know, but keep your morals uh, <laughs> in check and make sure that you're, you're behaving ethically. You know, we can't put ethical in our tagline on our magazine and not and then not, as such. So yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I'd love to, to kind of circle back to uh, um, where we kind of departed from the timeline of your journey into journalism, where you're telling us this great story uh, about, you know, going out and, visiting all these different churches that were doing different things to attract younger people to come and you mm -hmm. uh, got your name in print. And that was really exciting. Um, yeah. How did you, what, what kind of happened next that took you from, from there? 
Yeah, well, I I uh, worked in some other jobs in journalism, and uh, but all the while I kept freelancing for the Observer because, um, well, they they paid and I they liked what I was doing. But I also always felt that of all the freelancing I was doing, that the stuff that I was writing for the Observer was some of the most interesting and meaningful work for me. Um, and so, eventually, a job came up for managing editor and um, somebody said, hey, you know, maybe you should apply for that. And I did and I got the job. And so that was that was 2006. So okay. there's probably about six years of freelancing for the Observer and then doing other journalism jobs in that space. And uh, and then, yeah, so 2006 is when I joined uh, the Observer. And then when David Wilson retired at the end of 2017, uh, 2018 is when I became editor publisher. So. I've been around for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. I'd, I'd love yeah. hearing some of that story and, and how you got to where you're at today. So, uh, and what year was it that um, The Observer became Broadview? And maybe we can unpack a little bit of that rebranding or that shift and, and why it happened and what it means. Yeah, that's a, that's a long story. It helped me to hold the question. <laughs> For that I'll, I'll give you the brief word. So it was April 2019 that we switched from Observer to Broadview. Uh, the reason was a little bit like what I mentioned before um, that you know we were a publication that was really um, for the people who go to church um, every Sunday, you mm -hmm. know, really for United Church members that you know it's in the name United Church Observer. Obviously, if you were somebody else who wasn't in the United Church and you saw that name, you would think, well, that's obviously a publication for United Church members, and I'm not one of them, so that's not for me. And you, you know, you have so much media in your life that you're going to give that a pass. Yeah. Um, at the same time, so there, there's a bit of a branding issue there that that name was stopping us from talking to anybody else outside of the church. And, um, you know, we wanted to be able to talk to a lot more people because really our content all along was a lot more broad than just United Church content. Like we were never a publication that only wrote stories about the United Church and what's happening in the church and church people and so on. It was always, always took social justice issues, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and other issues, ethical living issues uh, and worked that into the mix. Um, but that content it was great content. It just wasn't, you know, reaching out enough. Um, at the same time, as we know, United Church was growing smaller in numbers, and we realized, you know, we got out our charts and we plotted the graph, and we realized that, you know, unless United Church has this giant turnaround in membership, which was looking unlikely, um, that this population couldn't continue to sustain the quality of journalism that we're producing. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, and by quality, I mean, we pay writers reasonably well and so on. So we get, we get good stories. Um, and so, you know, and then there's also the idea of wanting to bring the progressive Christian dialogue into the Canadian conversation. Uh, we're not, we don't feel like we're just here so that United Church people can see themselves echoed in a publication. We also want to, um, talk to other people and that's you know feel like this is a legitimate world viewpoint and it needs to be part of the discussion mm -hmm. so all of those things kind of were combining together and uh, and then you know David really set it up as you know to make the transition possible before he left and then when I got the job um, I carried that through so um, wow. it's, it's been a big it's actually been 
like, you know, for people on the outside, it's, it looks like, yeah, you did that thing three years ago. Right. Um, but it's really been a three-year transition because there's so much in the, the back end of what we do with uh, circulation marketing and don't like just changing our systems, modernizing. There's a lot of other things that went on to support this transition. I'm sure. So, um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a, a pretty big haul for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. It's, it's pretty Thanks. awesome to see, to see it come to fruition and, and doing well and reaching a broader audience, like yeah. you said, Yeah. when we're, uh, when, when you think back Jocelyn to all your years in journalism and through the observer and Broadview and all of the stories that have that, um, that importance in touching on ethical issues and just striving to highlight issues that matter and, and good news stories like we were talking about. Are there any that jump to mind for you that, you know, if you were to retire a couple of years from now or whenever that might be from you, for you in the distant future, and to look back at your career and think that was a story that really mattered. And that was a story yeah. that really is going to help to, to make the world a better place, like something that you're especially proud of, of having been part of, uh, either as editor or, or just putting out there into the world as, as a publisher? Yeah, it's such a hard thing to answer, to be honest, because um, there are so many that would, would fit that category. And, um, and I also, you know, when a story is kind of done, it's, it's kind of goes into the back of my mind and I'm always looking forward. So I, I almost yeah. have a hard time recalling. I mean, although, oh yeah, we did a story on that once. I remember that, but I almost have a hard time kind of um, uh, going back and remembering what, what's come before, because I'm always like, where do we, you know, we got, we got a blank issue coming up. We got to fill that thing. Yeah. Oh, I totally <laughs> so get what that's like. It's yeah, like it's the, little, the, the um, side view mirror thing, you know, it says objects may only it's the opposite objects yeah. are smaller in the rear view mirror <laughs> and you're more focused on what's ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I really am. And um, so that's hard. I mean, I, I kind of like the ones I remember ones that won awards. So I'm, you know, those ones kind of hmm. my head a bit, but, um, but that's not really what your question was. So uh I mean, I can talk about a, a story that's out right now that I'm really sure. excited about. <laughs> yeah, let's hear <laughs> yeah. about it. It's true. So we have a story that's, uh, it's on our website. It's not in print. Uh, it might be in print later because it's it's doing very well online. But um, right now it's just online and on our social media. And it's a story about Betty Sanguine. Uh, Betty was a woman who uh, was suffering from a serious illness and decided to have a medically assisted death. But for her, it was important to die at her church. And her United Church agreed to have the death in the sanctuary. Wow. So what they did, I know. And so what they did is they set up um, the sanctuary to be feel kind of like a living room. So she was in a comfortable chair and her family was around her. She has six children. Her family was around her, her friends, her community. Um, they sang songs together. They express their love. Um, Betty herself is unable to speak. And so she had a whiteboard and she wrote an expression of love on the whiteboard. Um, this story is just, I, I find it so beautiful. There's so much love in this story. Betty with her friends and community, family, but also that the church itself, I mean, what an expression of love for one of their members that they 
accommodated what she wanted and made that space, you know, what, what a mm. sacred holy space that was for her yeah. in that moment. Such an act of love. Yeah. And so, um, so she died in her church and her mm. friends grieved and her family grieved. And, but there is a kind of this, you know, we talk about in the United church, radical acceptance. And to me, that is such an illustration of radical acceptance. Mm. Um, a couple other things I like about the story. One is that it was written by our, we have an intern right now from Centennial College on a work placement. Mm. And she took on this assignment. I'm just, I'm so proud of the, that we can give quality, good assignments, you know, really great stories to young people and give them a chance to write and, and do a yeah. she did such a great job. Emily Stanfield uh, did a fantastic job on that. Um, but also that, you know, in Emily's story, she does address some of the ethical tensions that people are feeling around medically assisted death. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, especially in this case, I've never heard of this, but having the procedure done in a church and some of the criticism that the church had to handle because of that decision. I'm sure. Yeah. And so it just, uh, you know, it doesn't shy away from from those things either. So it talks a bit about those elements of the story. So Mm -hmm. that's one that I'm really excited about right now. You know, inspiring and if you want to call them like we've been talking about good news stories aren't always easy stories. They're not always easy to 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 write and to do really make sure you're doing justice to the people in the story Um, Mm -hmm. that can be challenging and they're not always easy to read you know it's not always easy topics but it's just important right yeah yeah absolutely yeah so this is you know one of those stories that that does all of those things and Mm. um you know it's just a great read so check it out. It's out there. So yeah, I was just going to say, I'm definitely going to have to go and read that one. And maybe we'll put a link in the show notes. So um, if anyone interested listening would like to check out that story specifically, we'll we'll provide a link to that and a link to the Broadview magazine website, just in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we could, we'll wrap up uh, here, Jocelyn, unless there's anything else that you'd like to talk about, but where would you like to sort of send people is there anything else like other than, like I said, the, just the, the magazine's website, is there anything else you'd like to, to point people towards? Um, well, like, I mean, I was uh, love to see e-newsletter signups. We have a weekly newsletter that goes out on Fridays and it's got content that's not necessarily in the magazine. Mm. Um, I'd love if, you know, you want to subscribe, please do. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're an award-winning magazine and, um, Last year, we won from the National Magazine Awards, we won Best Special Interest Magazine in Canada. And this year, we've been nominated for that prize again. And wow. we're, uh, we'll find out on June 3rd for the winner or, or still just honored to be a nominee. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we're, you know, I think, uh, I, like, I like to think that we're doing great stuff here. I would love to share that with any of your, of your listeners. And uh, yeah, so check us out online and, awesome. and see where you want to sign up. And you also mentioned that there's a, a Facebook page that people could check out if they're... Uh, yeah, we're on Facebook and Twitter yeah. and Instagram and a little bit on LinkedIn, but that, you know, our main platforms are the first three. Yeah, very cool. Well, yeah. you're doing some fabulous, fabulous work, Jocelyn. It's really, yeah. really cool to see that it's being uh, acknowledged too. It's like the nominations. So congratulations on that. And I just want to thank you for sharing some of your personal story and also just the story of uh, what Broadview is all about, what it's up to and what it's doing in the world. And uh, I'm sure that our listeners really enjoyed this story. So 
Speaking great. of great stories, thank you for, for this one. <laughs> thank you. It's been so fun to be here. Yeah, it was great to meet you and get to know you a little bit. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and for joining Jocelyn and I uh, today. Uh, we've got a new episode of Six Ways from Sunday coming out every second Friday. So um, feel free to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also check out past episodes of the show there. Um, I was saying to Jocelyn before we started recording, we're into our 115 or so, somewhere in there, episodes. All of that can also be found on our website, which is at risingspiritministry.com and just clicking under media and podcasts. So again, Jocelyn, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks. It's been great to chat with you. And everyone out there, thank you for listening again. And until next time, take care and be well.